Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and I am live at the Superdome down in New Orleans, Louisiana, where the University of Washington has made it to the college football championship game by defeating Texas 37-31 to in front of an announced attendance of 68,791. Let me tell you something, guys. This place was loud it was on fire it was rocking and i don't think either one of you have been in there but the first thing i thought when i walked in and looked up it looked like an like an updated kingdom and it was just as loud in here i don't know if you guys could hear it on tv but it was insane in here could you guys tell how loud it was on tv yeah i think so i mean i know you were saying it was probably about what 80 20 skewed for texas but I heard a, a pretty sizable Go Huskies chant pregame. So the the Washington fans that were there certainly seemed to, you know, certainly seemed to make a bunch of noise. So that was that was good to hear, at least before the game started. Yeah, like I said, you know, it's just it reminded me of the old kingdom, just the way the stadium's kind of, you know, situated and then looking up at the ceiling. And boy, it just reverberates down back onto the field. It was loud in here, but you know, just a a wild, wild, wild game coming down to the last play. But, you know, Washington, you know, being able to score early, I think really set the tone, Scott. Absolutely, it did. <clears throat> it absolutely did. And that was that big play by Jordan, uh, Jalen Polk over the top and and uh, making that run all the way down to the one or two yard line, whatever it was. And then Dylan Johnson was able to power it over. And I think that put Texas on their heels a little bit and they played catch up. Washington never trailed in this game. It seemed yeah. like they were going to when the final clock ticked, <laughs> but they never trailed in this game. And that's pretty big. Hey, Chris, I was talking to guys in the locker room post game. To me, Michael was special today. Michael Panics was special today. And all those guys wouldn't buy into that. They go, no, that's Michael. That's what we see every day. But he looked like that one touchdown pass to Jalen McMillan. He looked like Randy Johnson firing fastballs on that drive. And there was a lot of people who'd never seen him. Their jaws were dropping the way uh, Michael Panics was dropping dimes today. Oh, 100%. And yes, I mean, it's it, in the big games that have mattered, like both the Oregon games, um, I'd say the USC game when he was battling Caleb Williams. I mean, there have been some really special moments from Michael Penix Jr. And, and today may have been the best one of them all. And I think we all knew that he was going to have to play his best in order for Washington to have a chance to win tonight. And he, they absolutely did. And it just goes back to what Kalen DeBoer has said about this team time and time again. When they've been on this this stretch of winning 10 games really, really close by basically single digits, it's it's been guys that have been able to play their best in the brightest moments, in the moments that mattered. And there's absolutely no doubt that Michael Penix did exactly that. And I, I just think it's a shame, Kim, that 
you know, the Heisman Trophy should have been voted on after the season's over, not after the conference is over, not after not after Pac-12 championship is over or Big Ten championship is over. It needed to be done after the championship game. Yeah, Michael Penix would have won it by a landslide, I think, because a lot of the voters, I would say a majority of the voters never saw a full game of, of Michael Penix play. But, Scott, I thought also the key to the game, I expected Washington to try to get their defensive lineman to run. It was kind of funny. The third play of the game, I'm looking at big Trevante Sweat. He's got his hands on his hips after about three plays. They were running those guys ragged. Well, not enough because they couldn't <laughs> do much when they ran the ball inside and and uh, those guys were tired. I mean, uh, Trevante Sweat spent, I don't know, Chris, you, you probably could tell more than I could because I wasn't watching it that closely. But I saw him on the sidelines a lot in that fourth quarter. And I, I heard he ding, got dinged up a little bit. But I think he was also pretty, pretty uh, winded, too. Yeah, a little bit. He was on he was on the bike a little bit, too. So I think they were trying to keep yeah. him as loose as they could possibly. But he was certainly affected. I mean, he had three total tackles. Um, I thought Byron Murphy probably had a better game than yep. Devondre Sweat did overall. But really, no sacks, three tackles for loss. Um, it's about as good as you could have hoped for from that front uh, that won the Joe Moore Award. They got some help, obviously, from guys like Dylan Johnson, and we'll talk a little bit about him, I'm sure. But, you know, to, to, to do all that and get all that to give Michael Penix the time he needed to get the ball downfield, I think, was absolutely one of the big keys of the game. Yeah, and when you're talking to, you know, Troy Tanu and talking to uh, Nick uh, Kalepo after the game, as well as Parker Brailsford, they said Byron Murphy was the best lineman on the field that they faced today. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't doubt that. Yeah, I don't doubt that at all. By the way, the, the video that you did with Troy Fautanu uh, after the game was was pure gold. You should, <laughs> you should let people know a little bit about that because it, it, it tells you that these guys, as much as they try to stay focused, and they try to stay away from what other people are saying on the outside, I guarantee you they're paying attention, and that was proof of that. Well, wait till you hear Eddie, because <laughs> Eddie, Eddie picked right up where uh, Nate Kalepo left off. But let me tell you another thing that I thought was a key to the game, Scott. You know, I got the text from you guys that Colleen Robinson, their backup running back and kick returner, had broken his hand in pregame. I got a picture, of, and he had a big cast on his hand. They put him back there for kick returns, and they noticed that, and they kicked it on the ground. He couldn't pick the ball up. He almost fumbled it twice. Yeah, yeah, that was big. That was huge for Washington, and it really kind of screwed up their return game because when when they were just kicking directly to – who was it? Was it Blue that started off as the kick returner? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it was Blue. Um, and then yeah. uh, Jordan Whittington, I think, had one as well, but yeah. Yeah, so um, I, I was I was honestly shocked uh, to see that happen, and I was like, why are they having a guy that's got his hand in a cast trying to pick up squib kicks? I I didn't get that, but hey, it helped Washington because they were able to pin him deep inside their own territory. Did you see him reach down and grab the ball with one hand? Yeah, I did. Yeah, that's that's not good. That is not good. I mean, yeah, I mean they're they're obviously there's a lot of people that are questioning a lot of coaching decisions on both sides. But when literally a guy has a cast the side that's so big that basically it looks like the entire team had signed it, that's you don't want that guy to just be fumbling around the ball near your own end zone. That that just does it seems like it's just fraught with trouble. 
Yeah, let me tell you another thing that I think was the key to the game. I was really concerned about Washington being able to stop them on third downs, and they weren't perfect on it. But, you know, they they were 4 of 11 in stopping uh, Texas on fourth down and uh, 0 for 1 on fourth down. But uh, they did a pretty good job on third down considering what, you know, the powerful offense that Texas is running. Texas, Texas is number two in the country in converting on third downs. Yeah, I don't know what – I have 4 of 12. Yeah. On third downs and O of one on fourth down. So that's four of 13 on third and fourth downs. That's pretty good. Even yeah. though both both uh, both teams had about 70 to 71 total plays, which is really interesting, because if you look at only the third quarter, for instance, Kim, Ugh. Washington had the ball for 12 and a half minutes. I mean, I, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. The Texas ran five plays. Yeah, it was amazing the starts that they were able to get to in the first quarter and the third quarter. To me, that really spelled the difference in the game overall. Time of possession, Washington 36-20, Texas 23-40. So 13 minutes time difference, and there it is right there in the third quarter. And by the way, just looking down on the field, Bevo is walking out. (laughs) Yeah. Is he taking a big dump on the UW? logo that's what i would be expecting no but we've had our share maybe i'll share in thoughts from the week the uh animals taking dumps on bourbon street it was pretty hysterical but anyways you know just getting back uh dylan johnson uh 21 carries for 49 yards and um i i thought he was effective in doing enough to keep the defense honest and I, I know I'm jumping all over the place because I can't stay on for the whole thing because I've got to get out and catch the last uh, shuttle back to the hotel. But uh, his injury, because he, he really hurt his foot and the clock stopped and it cost him about 20 seconds at the end of the game. Oh, no, that it, they put that clock at 50 seconds when Washington punted. It would have been about 17 to 50, 15 seconds when yeah. they got the ball back. That is brutal. Kind of a weird rule. He was pretty much writhing in pain, but um, I can't tell you exactly what the coach has said, but unless they have to saw Dylan Johnson's foot off and can't find a peg leg, expect Dylan Johnson to play next week. Well, it didn't. It, uh, DeBoer did not sound that confident after the game, but um, then, then again, I because I, I did listen to him, Scott, right after the game, and yeah. he clearly was like, I don't really know the extent of it, but clearly when you look at it, it didn't look good on first Guess inspection. Just, Guess who just walked in, guys? Hey, how about that, boys? How about that? How you like that? How about that, baby? <laughs> Softy, uh, man, you've got to be able to keep your voice, baby. You've got to keep yeah, it going. Got one more week. Yep, you got one more week of this. He just came in and he's got a cupcake in his hand and he ran back out. But uh, hey, hey, Kim, I know that you've got uh, a limited amount of time here, so we should really kind of focus on what you got in the locker room. You know, just the overall feel from the players, maybe some tidbits from some of the guys that you talked to, because we want to get an overall feel for just, you know, just not only how excited they are, but obviously this this idea that they're not done yet. They still got another game to play. It's kind of funny, you know, Nate Kalepo, of course, led off right where, you know, he stopped, started again, right where he left out on the field about ESPN. And, uh, you know, I thought that was Troy that you talked to. That wasn't Nate. uh, It was Nate. Sure. That was Troy. That was Troy, Kim. You talked to Troy Falatano. Okay. I thought it was, it was, it was kind of hectic post game, but, uh, 
Yeah, no, it was uh, in the locker room. There was a lot of happiness, uh, guys carrying around the trophy and, um, you know, but I think I think if I took a theme out of that locker room, I mean, honestly, if I mean, if you put a gun to my head and what's the theme out in that locker room, we ain't done yet. And that's pretty much I said, how long do you guys have to enjoy this? We're going to enjoy it now. But, um, you know, I think the players thought they were going back to Seattle, but the UW officials told me they're going to Houston tomorrow. So we'll see what happens uh, for that. But, uh, yeah, a lot of happiness and just, you know, hey, this is what we see of Michael Penix every time. And we're seeing Michael Penix, you know, go out and greet all the fans on the sidelines and shake their hands and everything. And, you know, it was a cool atmosphere. And I mean, I mean, let's be honest, guys. I mean, if I'm going to be 100% office, I thought Washington would win, but I didn't feel good about it. But, man, Michael Penix, I, I told somebody today, Michael Penix isn't talented. Michael Penix is gifted, and there's a difference. You know, he's been given a gift, and uh, it, it sure showed today because I just thought he was on fire. And, you know, this team rallies around him. I didn't we, – we didn't get much of the details, but Eddie was talking about they called a team meeting, and Eddie didn't know about it. And how could he call a team meeting if Eddie didn't know about it? Because, you know what, Michael may be the leader of this team, but – you know, uh, Eddie's the guy that leads with the drum. So well, speaking of, speaking of Eddie, Kim, um, I tell you what, it, just looking at some of the, the the social media comments made by the players after the game, and and what you got from Troy right right as he was leaving to go to the tunnel, I'll tell you what, this basketball on turf or basketball on grass comment that Booger yeah. McFarland made from ESPN, that really stuck in their craw clearly. Because they're they're all over this right now. I mean, Will Foscio just said not bad for basketball and turf. See y'all in H Town. Uh, clearly, Troy talked about the basketball and grass or basketball and turf. Um, yeah, it, it just feels like the chip on this shoulder of this team just continues to grow. Well, one more thing that was kind of interesting after the game, the team is out there. They're putting on their championship shirts and championship hats. A couple of Texas star players came in, started some nonsense out there, and boy, they were pulling each other back. And this is a good three, four minutes after the game. So, you know, the Texas guys were trying to start some stuff out there. So I thought that was kind of well, interesting. I, what, I, I don't get it. On, when Washington was on the stage? Before they got on the stage, after okay. the game. When, you know, the just when the teams were just out hugging and there were some players that knew each other, of course, Jot Bar Muhammad with his cousin and stuff like that. So I thought but, that was his younger brother. It was, no, his cousin. Oh, it yeah. is his cousin. OK, that, well, that's what they said on the uh, the broadcast. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I haven't. Yeah, yeah. Some guys were congratulating, and I saw some Texas players starting to shove some of the Washington players in. I, and Jeez, I, I, back, come on. I backed up. I backed up real quick because I didn't want to get in the middle of that. But um yeah, no, they they uh, definitely felt a lot of um, disrespect, which they have all year, and they'll probably be underdogs against Michigan. Oh, they already are. I think the uh, the line right now started at I think minus four and a half, four Good. four and a half somewhere around there. Good. I, I think they'll be happy. Hey, just well, let, let let's be honest though. Michigan is the number one team in the country. Washington's number two, yeah. and and for Washington to be an underdog to that team. I don't think is I'm sure they'll still have it as a chip on their shoulder, but it's not as unreasonable as it is for Washington, a 14 and 0 team that won their conference, you know, went through the gauntlet they did to be an underdog to Texas. 
Yeah, just real quick, Quinn Ewers, uh, 24 for 43 for 318 yards and a touchdown. He had a passer rating of 71.8. On the other side, Michael Penix was 29 of 38 for 432 touchdowns, passer rating of 97.8. C.J. Baxter, leading ball carrier for uh, Texas, nine carries for 64 yards. Um, uh, is it Jaden Blue, nine for 59? I yep. think I think another telltale stat, they held Xavier Worthy in check, two uh, two catches for 45 yards, and he's their home run threat. So I, I know he scares the crap out of everybody out there, but to limit him to two carries was something special. Uh, Dylan Johnson, um, 21 for uh, carries for 49 yards. Michael Penix had three carries for 31 yards. He was he was running the ball. <laughs> um, How nice was that, by the way? That, no, what was, they, his was what huge, they, yeah. What do they the call re- that? The reads, where, where, and then he just goes right up the middle. Yeah, I mean, the reads were made really the, – there were really some really good reads. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Romo Dunsey, six catches for 125. J-Mac, five for 58. Uh, Jeremy Bernard had three for 48. Chris um, – excuse me, I always want to call him Chris Polk. Jalen Polk, five carries for 122, but the one for 77 yards sure seemed to set the tone for the game. Not just yeah, that, it's juggling catch, touchdown catch, too. Yeah. Juggling touchdown catch, too. I mean, that was that 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 couldn't have popped up better. Man, that was Randy Johnson fastball. I was just yeah. going, oh my God. I mean, he threw that thing so hard. It was it was kind of crazy. Just real quick, I'm looking what Jack Westover had because he had a couple of key catches as well. Six for uh, 56. Six for 59. 59, yeah, yeah, it just seems like every time Jack makes a catch, it's meaningful and it's important and it's, you know, it has a lot of importance. None, none more so than that four yard uh, catch on third and two on that on their last scoring drive. Is that the most replays and reviews that you've seen in a game, by the way? I'll um, tell you what, you get to the semifinal games and they are picking every nit. I mean, it's like every play. It, it's it, it feels like it's so important. So yeah, let's I, just I put it. Them, let's just it, put it this way: the amount of photographers, Kim. I'm sure you had a ton of photographers down on that sideline with you. Oh, photographers, film people. Yeah. ESPN had three boom trucks. You know, the the uh, just on my side. Anything go over to the other side, but the you know the cameras on the trailers. You know, going back and forth on wheels. They had three of them on one side, and um, no, it was pretty. Uh, pretty crazy. I got a cop yell at me today, too. So that was special. I go, dude, I don't know where I'm going. You don't have to be like that. And he yelled at me with his high pitched screaming voice. So thank you, the New Orleans security cop. But, <laughs> you're, going, but, you're going you're going to the natty now. So yeah, air, I'm telling you. Yeah, no, it's just been a tremendous day. And, you know, I, I've been running like crazy. It's just I, I've just really been running like crazy. And big shout out to Tom, Tommy Yarish from the uh, Texas site who helped us out a little bit today, especially post game. So, guys, I'm going to bow out of here because I got to figure out where I'm going. And I don't want to miss the last shuttle because I Kim, will be screwed if I do. So one more one more question. I just need you for a minute, Kim. You yeah. talked to the players, but I want to get a feel because you talked. Obviously, you saw. Uh, Jamarcus Shepard, you saw Lee Marks on the field after the game. Give us a sense for what how the coaches were taking this because they seemed pretty excited. What do you think Jamarcus Shepard was taking of that? I know what Jamarcus Shepard's like, but I was just wondering if you got a chance to was it was there more relief maybe or are are they still kind of of this you know because there's still a, the idea that the job's not done right? 
the job's not done. I mean, they're happy. You know, all of the coaches there, they're with their families. They're with their little kids. You know, saw Juice uh, Brown walking up the tunnel with his little girl. Um, you know, Jamarcus had a couple of his kids here. Scott Huff, you know, Scotty is Scooter. You know, Scooter is Scooter. You know, uh, uh, what's funny is uh, Coach Morrell, he's just he, how do I describe it? He's just not the most outgoing and gregarious guy. And it's almost seems at times he wants to let go, but he's just a really cool guy. So um, it was really cool with him and William Inge, of course, and, uh, you know, coach Sheridan and um, coach um, coach Schmidt too. I mean, they all seem pretty happy. I didn't really get the chance to see Kalen DeBoer because uh, it was just too much going on and he was up on the stage. So, but no, it's just a, it was a great, great, great win. And, we're going to the national championship, dudes. We're going to the national championship. So, Hard no. to believe, man. It's it's crazy. <laughs> well, go right. go figure out how to get back to the hotel, Kim, and, and we'll be in touch, obviously, tomorrow. But uh, you've earned a great night's sleep, man. Congratulations. Great job today. I got to get up early and do serious radio and do some travel arrangements. <laughs> so no. I guarantee you, you're not going to be the only person that's got media obligations tomorrow. I know. I have them tomorrow, too, at 630. Yeah. All right. I'll let you guys run. I'm out. All right. Okay. Later. Thanks, Kim. You guys can finish up. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're doing that. We're get doing out that. of there. Go get your shuttle. So let's uh, let's break this down a little bit, because, you know, obviously, Kim got a chance to, to watch it as it was unfolding on the sidelines. It kind of gave us a little bit of a feel and the flavor for, you know, what things were like post game. But uh, during the game, Scott, how did you feel, especially going out like, for instance, did you think that they made the right decision to defer when they won the coin toss? Cause I, I'm always a fan of deferring no matter what. I, I am too. Um, I, although more and more people are starting to talk, talk me into maybe taking the ball first, but I, I love having that ball first in the second half. Um, because you can, you can do a lot of different things in that first half and getting that ball back first in the second half and getting a chance to score seven points right off the bat just makes things so much better. So, um, but man, Washington's offense just starts so fast. And once they get out to that lead, other teams feel like they got to do more than maybe they normally want to do. And, um, I think that's how Steve Sarkeesian felt with, with Texas and, um, you know, Washington never trailed in this game. Uh, Texas was always playing from behind for the most part, or at least tied. And, um, you know, it, it just, I, I, I think, deferring is the best thing you can do but you can make an argument to to take the ball especially with this offense yeah and and I think to be honest with you it 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 almost feels though like if you can go on defense and you can force a punt it's almost like you feel like you've gained yeah drive even though you really haven't it's like it almost feels like like, it's like getting a service break in in tennis um it just it it, it, it feels like that you've doubled things up a little a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit like that. And and even though so so uh Texas had seven drives in the first half, Washington actually forced more punts than touchdowns. Than yeah. touchdowns scored. They had uh Texas scored three touchdowns, but they they also had to give up the ball four times via punt, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. So, you know, they gave up three touchdowns in the first half, they gave up two uh ten points in the second half, but Washington also won the turnover battle in the second half. Which I yeah. thought was massive. They did, so. and I mean, honestly, you can look back on this game, and I'll and I'll end up writing it up a little bit, but you can talk about the fumble by Bernard on the uh, the punt return, 
was absolutely huge because I think Washington had a chance to go up by at least 10 points, if not 14. Um, yeah. After after the defense, I mean, the defense had just worked their butts off to get off the field and and put Washington's offense back on the field. And Bernard, you know, guys make mistakes. I get it. You know, I'm not you know, trying to chastise the guy, but just think about it. This this is why Washington has had close games, because they when they've had a chance to take the lead, they've either missed a play kind of like the um, uh, missed uh well, it should have been a penalty, but in the conference title game when Jalen McMillan had that wide open touchdown and he was grabbed, but they didn't hit on that play. And that could have been a play. I, I can't remember what the score would have been. It was 17 to nothing at that point is what it would have been. Whatever it was, Washington had a chance to go up huge and they didn't. And Oregon was able to come back. Well, that exactly is what happened against Texas tonight because um, Texas, Washington had a chance to go up huge on, te- you know, not huge, but go up by, by double digits on Texas yet again. And that, you know, fumble, that muff punt gave him the ball on the 22 and three plays later, Byron Murphy goes over from a yard out and now it's tied again, instead of Washington being up by 10. So, I mean, that's a 10 point swing for you. Yeah, it is. There's no question about it. And we are talking about a top 10 offense in Texas. So you don't want to give those guys opportunities to get more drives, more opportunities to score, especially on short fields, which is what they did. And they did it early enough on. I think eventually they were able to mitigate it and, and, and overcome it. This is not something like if that had happened in the fourth quarter, that then that's devastating. But in the first quarter, I think they were able to kind of respond from it. Um, able to kind of re- recover. You could see DeBoer talking to Jeremy Bernard after it happened, and he, and he put Bernard right back out the next time Texas punted, and not a problem. So I think it's just one of those things where, and just bear with me for a second, Scott, but I just think it's emblematic and a good example of the coaches just instilling in these players so much confidence and so much um, belief in their own abilities and the ability to, to make plays at any time that sometimes, you know, maybe they force it a little bit more than they should or need to. And that's a moment where you're getting the ball back. Initially, you've really created a good situation for yourself. And now all of a sudden it's, it, it ends up being a, a, a really disappointing opportunity because like you said, they have an opportunity to extend. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it, it just, it's frustrating to watch because, you know, you think to yourself, man, what what this game would look like if Washington was able to be up by 10 in the in the second quarter and up by, you know, maybe at minimum three by the end of the first half. And instead, it's it's tied going into halftime. Yep. Nope. there's no doubt about it. And and did it feel kind of deja vu ish about the, the Pac-12 championship game? Oh, did my it, gosh, Chris. Yes, it did. <laughs> okay, well, it, was it just because they kind of let Texas back into the game, or di- or was it because you could see a run coming, and maybe it was this feeling of there wasn't much you thought Washington could do about it? I I just yeah, like you I'm, said, they still they still never they still never trailed in this game, just like they never tra- well they actually trailed in the Pac-12 championship game, so there's yeah. a little difference there. Yeah, I I just you know I. Uh, you know, Oregon's got a very good offense and stuff, but Washington seemed to have them dialed in. I don't think they felt a hundred percent dialed in with, with uh, Sark and Texas's offense. And they just have so many guys that can throw it. You just like Oregon does. And, um, but 
you know, I, I just I I could tell that, you know, with what with Washington making a mistake here, a mistake there, or missed opportunity, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, it just felt like this is going to be another one of those games where I'm going to um, have my blood pressure medication doubled. You know, I mean, it just it, it, this team just figures out, keeps figuring out ways to win, but they also figure out ways to let teams stay in games when I think they could put their foot on their neck and shut them, shut them down. But it is what it is. That's yeah. what that, this is. This is this team's identity. They will win close games. Close game, no problem. Remember, remember the Mariners back in the, you know, their run in what was it, two, two thousand one, like when they when they won one hundred and sixteen oh, games. Or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna say nineteen ninety five with refused. But, to oh no, ninety five was. I'm sorry, ninety five was the one where there's like two outs. So what? Remember that? Yeah. And refused to lose. Yeah. Yeah, refused to lose. And that just feels like Washington's motto right now is tied up late in the game. Okay. Cool. We're going to go to work and they don't seem to panic. And and it's really helped them come out on top in a lot of these in all these games. They've won 10 straight games of less than 10 point wins. I mean, that is just insane. It is insane. And it's it's a record. Hasn't been done since 36, right? Yes, it's a record that they set and they continue to to build on it every single game that this happens now. But like we said, when they when they defer and then they force a punt, it, it feels like they just kind of stole an extra possession, even though in reality it's not. But you almost feel like if you get ahead and you know you're going to get the ball to start the second half, momentum, just just the mentality it just has to be going through the charts. Like you must be feeling so good. And then on top of it, they score on their first drive that they have the ball, including that monster pass, that 77-yard pass from uh, Michael Penix to Jalen Polk, which – how can you not feel so happy for Jalen Polk in his in his home state doing that and and having that kind of well, success is amazing. It's not his home state, but yeah. Well, not sorry, yeah, Louisiana, yeah. sorry, but but like yeah. probably in front of tons of friends and family. Oh yeah, well yeah, and, I think, and yeah. in front of the team that he probably I don't know if he wanted to play for Texas growing up, but certainly if you get an opportunity as a Texas-born guy to kind of stick it to him. You got to oh, absolutely. That. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, he did not have a Texas offer coming out of high school. So um, and he is proving to be just so tough. I, yeah. I mean, he is he he has proven to be a very tough, you know, aside from those two games where he had a little bit of the drops, he's he's been just absolute money for Washington and so happy for him. You know, I got to know him in the recruiting process when he was going when he was doing the transfer. That was all everything was all new for everybody at that point with all the transfers and everything that was going on. And he he just man, he just a really nice kid. Um, and I've seen the maturation and difference in him, you know, it's three years. I mean, he, he went from being a 19 year old when I talked to him to now he's 22, if not 23, yeah. but I mean, he is so intense and, you know, you can see he's spitting nails and some of these guys are spitting nails when you they come off. Lot, of that see, field. I was going to say, you see, Scott, you see a lot of those videos that Washington puts together on their, on their social networks and, he's really come out as one of the ringleaders. Like mm-hmm. when they come out like pregame and they're all in a circle together, there's usually maybe like a Tupatala or an Ula Foscio or someone like that. Maybe Michael Penix, but Mike, I think he usually kind of waits until later in the game, for instance, but like pregame, it feels like Jalen Polk is kind of one of those ringleaders. Like he really gets 
everyone fired up, you know, puts a lot of energy into what's going on. Uh, I think he's really kind of embraced um, everything about Washington by coming up through Texas, which is really kind of fun to see. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's absolutely fun to see someone like him grow into that. And, you know, I I don't think he or Jalen McMillan have completely made up their minds yet. I think Romo Dunze has, but, um, you know, if they could get one or both of those guys back, I, I know it's a long shot, but if they could get one or both of those guys back, how huge would that be for Will Rogers and Washington's offense next year? I mean, it's just huge. Well, yeah, and, and, and Jalen McMillan told me flat out before they left for – uh, New Orleans, that these next couple games were really going to play a huge part in his ultimate decision, whether to stay or go. And so when he has a game like he had tonight, is that going to add to the idea that he's ready to go pro or is it motivate him even more so that win or lose, does he still want to come back for another year at Washington to see if maybe they can do it again? Mm-hmm. Maybe they can win another Pac-12 title. Maybe they can get to the playoffs again and, and do some damage like they've done already. I, I find it very curious because you, you're right. If they could get one of those guys to stay, I think it would be huge. And, um, you know, right now I'm kind of wondering with Jalen McMillan and having the games that he missed, if there is a sense of a little bit of like, hey, I haven't really shown people what I'm capable of doing. I have good tape, but I think I could put together great tape if I had an, a few more games. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely Jalen McMillan. Yep. So, you know, and then Texas comes right back and just puts it right down and puts the hammer down on the run game. I mean, you've got you've got, uh, you know, they're going for like 10, 15 yards a, a chop. It feels yeah, like. and then yours is getting free. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And he's getting free. He's kind of doing his thing. And then Jaden Blue goes goes right up the middle for five yards, almost not even touched. And mm-hmm. you're like, OK, this it feels like the M.O. of both teams is really starting to show itself early. Washington with the big play, Texas with the advantage with their athleticism, their their uh, physicality at the lines, you know, relying, even though they didn't have Jonathan Brooks, they still had some really good running backs. Keelan Robinson getting hurt was a huge um, factor in this game, I believe, especially in the in the special teams for sure. But also, I think he's such a Swiss Army knife for them. Uh, not having him available, I think, ended up being pretty big. And then, you know, 7-7, seven, seven, and then it feels like it's a bit of a uh, – I wouldn't say a bit of a pillow fight, but it seems like a little bit more back and forth where it's kind of like uh, Washington punts and then Texas punts. And then, you know, you go into the second quarter, and then it really cuts loose because both teams score 14 points in that quarter. And it's almost like it goes from – Okay, they were feeling each other out. Each team gets a score in the first quarter, and then second quarter, it's like gloves are off. Did it? Did it just feel like everything was just once it ended up being twenty-one, twenty-one and a half? Did you almost feel like okay, it's going to kick off, and now it's going to be one of those forty-five, forty-two games or forty-nine, forty-seven games? Did you think it was really going to take off? Um, I don't know. I there was part of me that didn't think Texas was going to be able to dial in Washington, but I thought that Washington was be able to dial in the, the uh, Texas offense. And that's what happened in that second in, you know, in that third quarter where we talked about it, where Washington held the ball for nearly 13 minutes of that quarter and, and ran 22 plays to Texas is five. Um, Washington just dominated that part of the, the game. And now, you know, like you said, Chris, you know, the, the first quarter and the third quarter were really what, what set Washington apart and, and helped them win that game. And, 
And, um, you know, we're going to talk about the fourth quarter here in a second, but that that third quarter, it looked like Washington had a chance to actually run away with things. Texas defense bowed up and kept them out of the end zone and made them settle for field goals. But, you know, Washington had a chance to put that game away in the third yeah. quarter and they weren't able to do it. Yeah, the, the 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 drive that ended in the first quarter went into the second quarter. Dylan Johnson up the middle, one yard touchdown. That's 14 to seven. And then Washington gets a three and out. And it's looking mm-hmm. really like you're thinking if you're a Washington fan now, you're thinking, man, this is perfect. You, we couldn't have scripted this any better. And then Jeremy comes up with the muff. Texas recovers at the 22. They actually bring in Byron Murphy. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, it was Byron, Byron Murphy. Murphy. You got the one yard touchdown. Yeah, yeah, for the touchdown. Uh, big man touchdown. I mean, as a, as a big man, I, I I got no I got no hate for that. And so now all of a sudden it's 14-14 again, and it feels like an opportunity squandered. But yet, as we've seen, whether it's offense responding with scores when they needed to or whether it was defenses stepping up and going, OK, look, you know, we've got to We've got to pull our share, too. We've watched it. We've seen what Penix has already done. We've seen these guys move the ball. We've been able to stop these guys a couple times. We need to keep doing more of that. And when Washington has to punt their next time, they force a punt and then it goes back and forth again. But Washington comes through with another uh, longer touchdown drive, one that goes for, boy, I don't know how many yards it was, but it was pretty long yards. It was it was pretty good. Uh, I think it was about 76 yards or something like that. And again, a couple big plays that really kind of told the tale on it. And like Kim said earlier, too, also. Jack Westover coming up with a really, really big catch um, before uh, eventually catching up with uh, another Jalen Polk bomb. But this time it was 29 yards for touchdown. So, again, 21 nothing. You're looking and, and Texas starts the drive with 80 seconds left in the half. And you're thinking, man, they slow them down here. You get in at 21-14 and you get the ball coming back. That's lovely. That's exactly what you dialed up. And again, Texas, so good. Top 10 offense, Quinn Ewers dialing it up, throwing it all over the place. And eventually they uh, they score two with 17 seconds left in the half. Um, ultimately, how did you feel kind of going into the half? Did you feel like it was a squandered opportunity or did you feel like this is just two really good teams throwing haymakers at that point? I, I thought it was a missed opportunity. Don't get me wrong. I think Texas is a good team. I just, I thought Washington had a chance to, to, uh, you know, going with the lead. And I thought that was big, especially with them having the ball first in the second half. But it, that wasn't the way it worked out. And I, I it felt like a missed opportunity, like you said, Chris. And and I late in the game, late in the late in the fourth quarter, I felt like there were some missed opportunities from Washington. So, um, you know, it's it's just, it, you know, this the roller coaster of emotions that you go through. And I, I look, I'm covering the team. I don't even have the same roller coaster of emotions that all the fans do. At least I can't let myself have them. And, um, you know, it just, you know, watching these guys uh, just miss out on some opportunities. They know they're missing out on them. The coaches know it. It isn't like I'm I'm reinventing the wheel or anything like that. You know, it's the, these guys know that they've had some missed opportunities. But you know what? You're going to experience uh adversity in every game that you play in and Washington had to you know face that adversity and and come up with a different way to do things and they were able to do it for the for the 10th straight time yeah no it's crazy what I want to know from you so Scott is that at halftime I know you're busy you're you're putting your stuff together you're thinking about what's going on 
at any time did you think, wow, you know, is, is Washington going to struggle coming out of the half? Because as we've seen all year long, it feels like the adjustments that this staff makes, whether it's offense, defense, whatever needs to be adjusted, it feels like they take care of business in the locker room and they come out hot. And that's exactly what they did. They came out. They took advantage of their uh, of getting the ball first in that third quarter, drove right down the field. And, I mean, again, Jalen McMillan coming up big, uh, 19-yard pass uh, catch touchdown. And, and that was, was like, just that, that in the window that Penix had to put that in. Yeah, seventy-yard drive, four and a half minutes. It was kind of, it was kind of clockwork. It was kind of surgical. Yeah. I mean, Penix was passing to Westover to Polk, uh, got a pass to well, Rodgers. He, um, he hit, he hit five. He he had five completions on the drive, and yeah. he had five different receivers with those. Exactly. I mean, he was. It's exactly what you would expect out of a master distributor of the ball. A guy that's just he's on top of his game. He knows where to go. He's seeing the pictures clear. And um, and again, Ryan Grubb you know, scripting it however you need to script it to get the job done. And so, again, Washington back up, you're feeling good. And then what does Washington do? They force a fumble. Yep. And that was, I think, to me, not a turning point of the game, but it was something that re- they really needed to do in order to not only square up the turnover battle, but they really needed that sudden change play at that moment because they had – opportunities to rest momentum from Texas before and weren't able to take advantage this time. It felt like they were in a a position to really take advantage of it and they didn't score a touchdown, but they were able to get Grady gross to kick a field goal that now give them a double digit lead. And I thought that was crucial at that point. Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, I sent you a text in our, you know, Kim and you're in my text thread. And I, after they get that second turnover, you know, they force one turnover, they they go down and they kick a field goal, they force an, to go up six. And then they force another turnover as Texas is driving deep in Husky territory. And I was thinking to myself, all right, if they go down, it, it, I think there was 10 minutes left at that, that point in time. If they go down and they put up three points, it's a two-score game. And I, I didn't think the game was over, but I was like, man, it's going to be real tough to come back. And, uh <laughs> It it wasn't that hard for Texas to come back. With the no, way the it wasn't. Went. Hey, those guys are those guys are explosive. Yeah. I mean, the last couple games that Texas played, I mean, they were they were beating the brakes off of teams. I mean, that Big Twelve championship game that wasn't very competitive. The game mm-hmm. they played against Oklahoma State, it just no. was. I mean, they no. they were not competitive in that game. And then you look, you know, you look at some of the other games that they had played. I mean, God, who did they play? They beat. I can't even remember, but it was like well, fifty-seven the, the, to seven or something. Yeah, the, like the Oklahoma game was their closest game of the season. Yeah, but what I was saying, they beat they beat Texas Tech the game before that, fifty-seven yeah. to seven. Yeah. Um, well, and then, remember what Oregon was doing to teams before they came against Washington. hundred percent, hundred percent. And so you know they had played close games, like they played uh, you know that uh, that game against TCU where they mm-hmm. beat them in OT by three. Um, they had the game at Iowa State where they won by. 10 but Iowa State really kind of made a, a, a you know made that into a real game and then they had the, the game against Kansas State in Austin where they won in overtime by three so it wasn't like Texas um it wasn't like they were going to tighten up or didn't understand how to respond or deal mm-hmm. with adversity when it hit because they had a couple instances too but they certainly had not been dealing with a barrage of close encounters like Washington had especially this last 
10 game stretch. Cause like I said, 49 to 21 against Oklahoma state 57 to seven against tech. I think to be honest with you, I think that was one of the big reasons why everyone nationally really felt like as good as Washington was playing and as good as Washington was the reason why they thought Texas might have an edge in this stuff is simply because of the momentum that they had going into the sugar bowl. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the momentum was definitely on, I, I, I don't know. I don't think you could say there was there was momentum, uh, a momentum thing for either team, really. I mean, Washington's mostly because of their win over uh, Oregon. Am I answering your question, by the way? I don't know. I just like I said, I just felt like it was just one of those things where, you know, they just I think it was it was really important for Washington defensively to feel like they could come up with stops and especially those sudden change plays, because what. Texas had done the two games previous was really take the game so far out of reach that the other team never even had a chance to get back into it ever Mm -hmm. yet. It was 21, 21 Washington had scored 10 points in that third quarter. And part of that was getting that key turnover to get it to a 10 point lead. And I thought that was absolutely critical because that second turnover happened right in the beginning of the fourth quarter. And obviously that really, I, to me, that kind of changed everything. And it was deep in Husky territory, too. It was. Yeah, it was because uh, Jaden Blue caught it and he fumbled it at the Washington 22. He was almost in the red zone. Yeah. And uh, Raylan Goforth got uh, credit for the recovery on that. Yeah. Uh, the the thing that was interesting and the thing that was interesting, though, is they blew the ball dead. And since Washington didn't recover it like right away, they kind of had to fumble around for the ball a little bit. Pardon my pun, but they had to, you know, get reel it in. Right. I thought I thought that that they were going to say, yes, it was a fumble. There was a whistle and Washington didn't recover the ball uh, right away. And so we're going to give it Texas the ball. It's our mistake kind of thing. But that didn't yeah. happen. Yeah, no, it's interesting. But, you know, Grady Gross kicked the field goal right at the very, very beginning of the fourth quarter to get him to 34. I think it was what was it? 34. Um, 21 at that point. Yeah. 34, 21 at that point. Yep. And then, you know, Washington, once they get the ball, once go forth forces that or gets the fumble back, you're really like, okay, here's another momentum. Here's another where, where you can really put the, the, the boot on the throat kind of thing. Right. And, but yet, mm, you know, it, and I know a lot of Washington fans are going to say, this is where Ryan Grubb got cute. But to me, when you have an opportunity and it's a sudden change play and you think Texas is is reeling a little bit from that, like they didn't expect it because they had all the momentum. And then all of a sudden the wind is completely taken out of their sails, you know, go for it. Take your yeah. shot because they had been so good at taking shots all game long. And then we saw the one where Odunze got that pass interference call. So all of a sudden that moves it almost to Washington's 40 yard line. And then it's like you get the, you know, kind of, you get the uh, flea flickers and the reverses and some of the other things that they were trying to do. And obviously Texas wasn't having any of that. Yeah. So, well, the, fun, the funny thing was, I mean, you probably heard it on the on the broadcast, but they were like, did that seem to piss those guys off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. 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 And, and probably <laughs> I would think yeah. I would think if they're not taking things personally at this point when they're down 13 I, I don't really know when there are um so McAllister punts the ball and then um Texas goes on a long drive at, from their own 28 and ends up scoring 
with, um, you know, Quinn Ewers throwing the ball over the top to A.D. Mitchell uh, against Elijah Jackson. Need to need to mention Elijah Jackson now because we're going to get back to him in just a second. Um, so now all of a sudden it's, what is it, 34-28? Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, this is the time when Penix has the moment where he steps up on the big stage and the bright lights and makes it happen. That's exactly what he did. Um, another big pass to what a couple passes to Westover, especially in that third and two yep. where he based Westover just literally goes like four yards downfield turns and the ball's right there. Um, and then he, and then he goes to J Mac for 14 right after that. Uh, Johnson has a nice run. And then that big pass to Odunzi. Um, against Ryan Watts down yeah. the Texas sideline. I, and if you watch that, if, if anybody has ever heard the term late hands yes. by a wide receiver, that yes. is textbook example of late and, hands. And, and part of the thing that really helped is that Watts was turning. He he, yeah. he, did, he, he got him turned upside down. He didn't know yeah. where he was. Didn't know where the and, ball was. Yeah. And so then, unfortunately. For 32 couple, yards, right? Yeah, it was 30, for 32 yards. So they basically got to the 10-yard line but they weren't able to, to really push through there. I think maybe that was the start of where we really saw the impact of, of Dylan Johnson not being 100%. Yeah. Cuz they brought they brought in Tybo Rogers and Tybo was able to get a couple yards the first time, got it back the second time back to the 10 and um and then Will Nixon, you know, they they brought him in as well. But Grady Gross again uh, a huge kick to get him to 37-28 so it's still a two score. So- Situation. So Chris, we need to talk yeah. about that that third down play though. Yeah, the um, one that will mix in in terms of the in terms of uh in in terms of uh, not uh, eating a timeout for Texas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so Texas uses a timeout on the second down play, and yes. then Washington with, and then with two two minutes and fifty seconds left. Two minutes and fifty seconds left, and then Washington runs uh you know rolls Penix to the to the left, and he has to eat it. Yep. And throw it away. I'm sorry, he didn't even eat it. He threw it away. Yeah. And and it's the smart play. You want to give your kicker the easiest kick he can get. Yes. But um, I mean, he only would have lost five yards. That would have made it what a 31, 32 yard yes. kick instead of 27. Right. Um, it would have been better if Penix had just slid and slid down so to cost them that timeout because that came into play at the end of the game because. If they had one timeout instead of two timeouts. I, I, I see it. I get it. Yeah. It makes total sense. It, I, I totally understand Grubb and DeBoer because they're going to on when we talk to them. I don't know when we're talking to them yet, but when we talk to them, they're going to say, look, we had the opportunity to um, we felt like we had a good play. We wanted to be aggressive. I, I mean, getting 10 yards, though, rolling to one side. It's it's different if it's five yards, right? But it, oh, yeah. it wasn't five yards; it was ten yards. And with Penix dropping back, it's actually a fifteen-yard throw. And I just I, look—they know way more about football than I ever could probably ever know. But what I do know is is and and you know I'm not out there trying to make these calls un, under pressure, but time management just says to me you force them to have that timeout or to take that timeout. So they only have one when you when you go uh, when you kick, you know, when they when when you kick off and and and, you know, then they get the then they get the the field goal. It's a minute and nine seconds left. They Washington gets the onside kick and you're like, 
they're going to win this game. I had actually started writing the story that Washington was going to win the game. Right. But since at that point, at that, at that point it was 37, 31 after Texas had kicked their field goal because they were going to have to get a score either way on that drive. Yeah. They, They could have tried to keep going to the end, to the end zone, but the bottom line is they were two scores behind. So they had to get at least a field goal in that. Well, the game was over if they didn't convert from that spot. So, so then, you know, Washington recovers on the 44, um, but both of Dylan Johnson's runs only totaled two yards and, and, and it only ate up 10 seconds off of the clock. And then, um, are not even 10 seconds. Well, right, because te- Texas used their two timeouts. Both timeouts, right? Yeah. So now we're at like 243 or something like that left or whatever it was. No, no, no. I'm talking about the one I'm talking about with 102 left. Okay. I'm after sorry. they kicked the I'm field sorry. goal. Yes, you're right. You're right. My, my and, mistake. So, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so and they you, were able to get so the ball. There, so there's like, uh, there was like 50 or 55 seconds left or whatever. And then Dylan Johnson runs the ball. And if he doesn't get hurt, you're fine. But he got hurt. And yeah. since he got hurt, because, see, the thing is, you don't even run him on that play if Texas just has has uh, one timeout because you just kneel on the ball twice. It's That's like the an, it's the anti Chris Hudson play from two years yeah. ago, Oregon. Yeah, it's like the it's like the, the team that didn't want the, the who wants the clock to run ends up getting hurt instead of the team yeah. that wants the clock to stop. You you can't do it, but, you know, and, and you know, you got to think about the person. You can't you don't know what's wrong with them or anything like that. But I was like, somebody just drag him off. (laughs) Well, My my mind was so scrambled at that point, trying to think about the ramifications. I thought that the official said that the play clock was going to start at the uh, the whistle. Yeah. But I, I thought that that was going to mean the full clock as well as the play clock. I no. was thinking the whole thing. So I was thinking, well, it's only going to be 25 seconds less then. So it's not brutal. You're not you're not really putting mm-hmm. the team that's ahead under the eight ball just because one of their guys got injured and needed to be uh, looked after, which absolutely you got to stop the clock for that. I mean, it's just common sense. But at the same time, I was thinking, well, OK, they lose 25 seconds. It's not as brutal as if they just aren't st- aren't starting the clock at all and then all of a sudden i'm looking at the game clock and it's not moving and i'm like oh this is brutal oh this it totally was and, so and then, I, yeah i lost yeah. track of the time obviously yeah and yeah. then to top it off Jaden green yeah <laughs> love yeah. him yeah but he runs into the runs into the punt returner i, I mean, don't know if you saw kaylin DeBoer's reaction to that but oh <laughs> It was, it was just like a dagger to the heart. It's like, like all, of all the things. He's like, really? Yeah. Really? Of all yeah. the things you need to do right at that point. Yeah. Because the bottom line is, you know, you know, the way they're pooching that thing that he's not going to have a return on. No. The only thing you want to be close is, is if he muffs it. Yeah. Right. That's the only thing. But even even so, even if you're not necessarily close enough where you can maybe get a reasonable uh, attempt to try to get the ball in a muff. Hey, you live with that because you're not giving them, you know, any extra, uh, any extra penalty yardage. And that 15 yards almost ended up being a death sentence at the end. So, you know, so now all of a sudden they're on the march. They start their final drive with 45 seconds left Texas on their own 31. Instead of it being like 10 to 15 seconds. Well, yeah, because it was a 15 yarder. So it would have been right. And it would have also been at the 15 yard line or 16 yard line. Mm-hmm. So you, you, not only did you not, you know, 
push them back towards their own end zone. But now you're suffering because one of your own guys gets hurt and you don't get the benefit of the clock running like it normally would have. Um, but again, all credit. Normally all year long, it's been the offense that's the one that stepped up and really saved the day for Washington. But just like ASU, just like Oregon State, there are some situations where the defense came up so huge when it mattered most in these final games. And this was the moment for the defense. And I'll tell you what, Elijah Jackson, it it was a pretty easy play to identify the last play of the game because it had to be in the end zone. It had to be a touchdown. So I think that really simplified things for him. And especially knowing that he was going to have to defend the 6'4", Mitchell, A.D. Mitchell, and you knew Ewers was just going to try to find his tallest guy, have a jump ball in the end zone and see what they could do. I'm telling you what, I've never seen Elijah Jackson jump that high. EJ was on ladders. I mean, yeah. he was way over Mitchell. And, and made he was like, I am not having this scored on me. <laughs> yes. It, it never, it was never a doubt. If anything, he could have made a better play on the ball to pick it off than Mitchell had of even trying to get close to it for a catch, but he did the right thing and just, and just batted it out. Big old club. To be honest with you, it kind of reminded me of like a soccer goalie seeing the ball in the air and literally is like, I'm going to punch the living hell out of this thing. And I don't care where it goes, but I'm, I'm getting it out of here. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah, end of the game and obviously celebrations out there. So, you know, I know that it raised the, the the blood pressure of a lot of Washington fans out there, probably every Washington fan out there. Um, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought that it was two teams just like the just like the Michigan Alabama game that went to overtime. Uh, I thought it's exactly what you would want out of a national championship semifinal game, especially since the ones years years ago, like when Washington had played Alabama and it was kind of a, it was twenty four seven and didn't feel like Washington was really in it. And then I think the other game that particular year, 2016, I want to say didn't Clemson shut out Ohio State? Was it like 30 nothing or 33 nothing? The one that was played in Arizona. And it was, I mean, it was, we haven't seen a lot of just total nail biters, absolute thrillers in national championship semifinals before, at least both of them on the same day. Mm -hmm. And yet college football fans couldn't have asked for anything more today, especially the new, especially the neutral fans. Well, Oregon fans could have. Washington State fans could have, Auburn yeah. fans, or uh, Ohio State fans could have. <laughs> sure, sure, but, sure, sure. But no, I mean, yeah. Yeah, Texas A&M I mean, fans. Michigan you know, State, yeah, exactly. Oklahoma so fans. Yeah. They, they were all happy. They were uh, all happy. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it is what it can't is. can't please I mean, this, everyone, Scott. You can't this, please was, this was an absolutely great day. I mean, take yourself out as a fan. Just, just a, If you're just a fan of football, today's football is why college football is so great. Yep. Nope. 100%. We're going to wrap this up in just a second, Scott, but I want to get your final thoughts in terms of what do you, what's going to, what are we doing from here on out? It just feels like, I mean, like I said, the national, haven't been to a national championship game since 91. And that wasn't even really a national title game per se, even though it was Michigan. So there, everyone's going to want to talk about that. And it's cool that there are so many uh, old Washington players, you know, like a Mario Bailey, Lincoln Kennedy, Mark Bruner. There's so many guys that are still kind of um, UW adjacent in terms of really keeping up with the program and being involved. So that's going to be a lot of fun to see how how that uh, that goes, because I guarantee you, I think 
Justin Glenn uh, told people in the pregame that there was roughly 100 or so uh, former players that were at the game tonight. And yeah. got to got to expect there's going to be a lot more. Than that. I mean, I even saw uh, a tweet from uh, from our good friend um, uh, Azim Victor. And it looks like Azim's going to going to Houston. So mm. if you know Azim's going to Houston, the, there's going to be a lot of guys going to Houston. And there yeah. was a lot of former players, like like current NFL players. Like I think uh, all the Tampa Bay guys were in New Orleans tonight. Joe um, Tryon, Greg yeah, they Gaines, were able to swing that. Uh, Kate Otten, Vita Bay. Um, and there's yep. one more, isn't there? I don't think so. Just those four. Oh, just but anyways, four. but it was cool to see a lot of the current pro players there. Maybe there's a chance that there'll be more pro players uh, in Houston, too. That'll be a ton of fun to watch. But I'm just thinking this next week, it's going to be hell on wheels, man. Can't even imagine. Well, what it's well gonna think be about it. The, the NFL season ends next week. So yeah. player players who aren't going to the playoffs – why not? Go, why not try and get into Houston somewhere? Or Haven't even thought about the Pro Dogs article yeah. that I need to post for tomorrow. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, no, yeah, seriously. I'm just, we have a I'm lot to, going on, guys. Yeah, I'm, try, I'm just trying you to know think what, Chris, of everything that we've got going on. You should just be a day late with that because we've got <laughs> so much content that's going to be coming out here. Yeah, and, so. just, and just to give people an idea. So there's a ton. Uh, Tommy and, and Kim talked to, I think, roughly 10 players we've got the the post they aren't long stuff. interviews so josh is handling all those no but, but there also will be some post game video that the sugar bowl did i'm mm-hmm. assuming that's DeBoer and Penix, but i don't know that because i haven't looked at it yet um there's just a ton of stuff obviously yep. a ton of stuff um we'll have the pro football focus stuff coming out as soon as that happens um god what else we got going on there's just going to be so much well i still have i still have my uh game grades to put out my game analysis to put out i mean there's there's a lot going on, guys. So we, yeah. we will get you. We will get you guys taken care of. It's just, it's it's already uh, it's quarter after twelve here in Seattle yeah. right yeah. now. And we got and we got the good we got the good end of the timing on this game. Yeah, you know I mean, it's it's it's, it's two fifteen uh, back there. Yeah, yeah, it's at least yeah two fifteen two twenty. Um, was gonna add too. I think according to Tony Castrocone, uh, Washington's going right to Houston. They're not going back to Seattle at all. Not a surprise. Not a surprise. Uh, Kim's trying to figure out how he's going to get to Houston from New Orleans. He's not going to go back to Seattle. Uh, we're in for the long haul, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're in uncharted we're, territories for the for for us. For us, for what we do, yeah. This yeah. is going to be, you know, we thought we thought putting out all the content that we were doing for this particular week and kind of, you know, kind of putting all of our efforts and energies into what we were doing for this game was enough. Now you got to double it. You got to triple yeah. it. You got because now it's all about everything. There's only one game left now what, for the entire season. One thing I'll, we we need do need to let people know, um, and I don't know how many people are listening this far into the podcast, but uh, um, they I will not have most the, are going to be listening to this tomorrow morning, yeah, Tuesday morning. They will not have the same media availability um, this week, this coming week that we had this, uh, you know, the this past week, whereas we had. We had five defensive players and five offensive players and the the offensive and defensive coordinators from both teams and both head coaches during the week. And then on Saturday, anybody was available. Yeah. And then on Sunday, the head coaches were available again. So I, it's not going to be the same kind of availability that we had, but they will have a media day. And that's that's really going to be the big day for for media stuff. Right. And so, again, with the quick turnaround we're talking about, it's just it's Tuesday morning here. We're finishing this up. The championship game is Monday night in Houston. 
And so you can tell turnaround is going to be quick, guys. And so there's not going to be a lot of time to dwell on the what ifs or the permutations and all this stuff. You know, I'm sure we'll find out in the coming day or so how the extent of Dylan Johnson's injury, for instance, if anybody else got banged up. Because it certainly looked like like um, Jabbar Muhammad, for instance, right at the very end of the game, looked like he may have banged up his shoulder a little bit, maybe a stinger. Who knows? I mean, it. I, he did come back in. He but. did come back in. So it, it's just one of those things where guys were just fighting tooth and nail to the end. You know, they were given everything they could possibly get. Um, you know, even if they were just 50 percent, 60 percent, they were going in and battling to the very end. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to battle to the very end tonight, guys. We're going to wrap it up there unless you've got some final thoughts, Scott. My final thought is Washington is in the national championship game. At, think about how you felt about this team. Not, I'm ta- not talking to you, Chris. I'm talking to the Husky fans listening to this. Think about how you felt about this team and what they could do heading starting in, you know, in August when they hit the, when they hit the, the field for, for uh, fall camp and, and then the start of the season, I think we all thought this team could be pretty darn good. I don't think any of us dreamed of a 14-0 season at this point and a berth in the national title. We thought it was a possibility, obviously, but the chance, you know, the likelihood of that happening is was very, very slim. And for uh, for this team to be able to do all those things, you know, I kind of feel bad for Kalen DeBoer. <laughs> Where does this what guy do mean? go he's from about, here? He's about to cash he, in. He, he is, but but I mean, for Washington Husky fans, they're going to be expecting title, you know, college football playoff berths. <laughs> oh, you, you you think he set the bar too high too soon? I think he might have set the bar too high for himself. <laughs> so okay, I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have. So just enjoy this, fans. I'm I was a student at the University of Washington in 1991. I got to enjoy that season and what it was like. I got to enjoy three straight Rose Bowls uh, from the Huskies. And um, I, this does not happen very often. 2020 or 2000 was a magical year, but that team way outplayed uh, its talent level. 2016 was a great year, but Washington was overmatched in the college football playoff. This team can win it all. They have what it takes. If they go into that even mildly healthy, they have what it takes to win this game. It's going to be a very tough win, very tough you know, job to, to beat Michigan. But it can happen. This team can do it. And uh, enjoy it, fans, because it hasn't happened in 32 years. Yeah, and they've won every game they've played this year, 14-0. Crazy, yep. crazy. You say that not a lot of people saw this coming at the beginning of the season, yet – I think only myself and our intern Josh are the only Dogman guys that actually predicted a loss at some point this season. So don't don't. Well, that, don't but that's as the season goes along. That's different than looking at it at the start of the season. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Before okay. they played a game. I think I had predicted going into the season. I think I had predicted um, ten and two. I think. Is yeah, what I, I, I think I had. 10 and 2 as I I said 11 and 1 is the ceiling I'm pretty sure I said 11 and 1 is the ceiling 10 and 2 most likely 9 and 3 at the lowest. Yeah, and I think I had 10 and 2 and then I adjusted it mid-year uh, after the Oregon win during the bye week and stuff. I think I adjusted it after the Oregon win to um 11 and 1, but that that one loss was going to be at Oregon State, which 
clearly they ended up winning that yep. game by two and and kept this thing kept this train rolling. So yeah, yeah, guys, I'm telling you, we we're beat. We are, we're gonna we're gonna get this stuff posted and we're gonna see what's next. But there is gonna be so much to look forward to, uh, guys. This is gonna be an incredible ride this next week. So I really hope that uh, you all join us at dogman.com. Come aboard and 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 come 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 check it out with us because this is going to be special. Pro, this happens only once every 30, 30 years or so, apparently, because yeah. you get it. You got the national championship in the early 60s with Jim Owens. And then you get the one with Don James in 91. And then you've got this one 30 some years later. So yeah. it, Pro, it just seems like it's uh, it's just one of those things that I don't know why it, it happens every three decades or so. But for some reason, it's happening and it's and it's going to be something you'll never forget. So, yeah. Anything else, Scott? Yeah, I just get we need to get people the uh, the email for the newsletter because there's going to be a lot of stuff going on this week. Yeah, huskystadium at gmail.com. Just go ahead and send us an email to huskystadium at gmail.com. Huskystadium is one word. And in the topic of your email, just put newsletter. So go ahead, just newsletter. And then we'll sign your email address up that you send it to send it from. And we'll sign you up to our mailing list and we'll send you everything that we're doing every single day. We'll put out a, a digest of all the stories that we have. Um, and I know there's going to be a ton of them. Like I said, Kim is in the process of figuring out how to get from New Orleans to Houston. Uh, maybe he's going to have to rent a car. Hell, I don't know what he's, he might, he might have to, he might have to thumb a ride. I have no idea, but um, he's got, he's got an interesting week ahead of him as well. So we're going to wrap it up there, guys. Enjoy it. I hope everyone got a celebratory uh, beverage in hand. I was thinking I was thinking very, very briefly about grabbing a Rainier, but I I waited. I, maybe I'll grab something right before I go to bed. But uh, either way, guys, so much fun. So enjoyable. I hope everybody got a chance to really soak that in and, and, uh, and appreciate it and love it for what it is because these guys have truly done something special and job's not done yet. Job is not done yet. So we'll finish it out with those thoughts that, and uh, here we go. It starts all over again, guys. One more game to decide the entire thing, the national championship. One week away, Washington, Michigan. It's just like old times. It's amazing. It's like 30 years ago, and it's like everything we've done, Scott, it's like everything we've done to this point, and we're, it feels like we're going backwards in time Yeah. to, to a classic Rose Bowl matchup. So, so it'll much just be in Houston. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. But so much to look forward to. I hope you come along for the ride for all of us uh, at dogman.com. So for Scott Eklund, this is Chris Fetters of dogman.com. Enjoy it, folks. Go dogs. Go dogs.